Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dick's Only Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam and everybody out there. Crisp morning this morning. Was. Two degrees in Eltham. Yeah, it was a bit frosty up our way. Yes, so I bet. I had to be careful walking down the stairs from, uh, from my veranda because it was all sort of icy. And yeah. <laughs> I had a bit of fog crossing the Yarra, but mm. that was all right. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be a nice day, though. So, Should be lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I'm not sure that the forecast said it was going to be, but it looks like it's going to be quite nice. Mm. So why not? Out in the garden. We've actually had some rain. Mm, good rain. Yes. Last, uh, last week's rain was fantastic. It's really soaked into the ground. It has. Because uh, it was funny, I don't, you know, seeing as you bring up rain, uh, a couple of, oh, three or four weeks ago, I rather late in the season, but nonetheless got some asparagus crowns to plant. Right. Um, and I had this fallow bed that I'd sort of earmarked to put the asparagus in. And so I thought, all right, I'll dig over the bed and put the asparagus in. The ground was dry underneath. Yes. And I thought, oh, my God. So uh, I watered it madly. I got some uh, uh, wetting agent in as well and, and what have you. And it, it took me most of the day to get the ground all sort of moist down through it again. Mm. So, But, yes, now that we've had that rain, everything is moist. So it is. I'm really pleased. Yep, wonderful. Mm. We also have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. It's lovely to be back again. And we've been fortunate. Um, for some reason along the coast, we've, the, we've had a lot more rain mm-hmm. than just a little bit further inland. So I've, my garden is actually quite wet at the yeah. moment. Right. There's sort of water lying around. And, yep. And, and we've had that rain consistent. We had a, you know, a couple of dry months in mm. sort of June, July, but once mm. we hit August, we started getting good rain. Okay. The beginning of August. So, Excellent. Yeah, quite damp. And right. In fact, I've got a lot of weeding to do, and I'm reluctant to do it because because <laughs> well, I'm reluctant to do it anyway. But because you pull out such huge clods of soil when it, when mm. the soil's really wet, mm. so um, yeah, you've got to be a bit careful, and you've also got to be a bit careful. You're what compacting you're, what you're the compacting. Yes. Yeah. Well. So you need to try and do it from pathways and yes, and stuff. that's my concern, which is why I'm not out there at the yes. moment. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to do it in small bits. I go out sort of in between working at my computer and pull out you know twenty or thirty things, and then. <laughs> Use it as a break. It's a a weeding break. Fair enough. Okay. And uh, I should say a very good morning to Virginia. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. I got a photo on Facebook from last year which had my dam in it, my middle one. Right. And it had so much more water. It was, you know, they just reproduced from a year ago the same day. And it had so much water, much more water in it last year than mine does this year. Yeah. There you well, go. That says something. Yes. Doesn't it? Mm. Doesn't it? Yes. Although the rain does come out of Warburton, look at me, mm. and then says, <laughs> and turns to Hillsville. <laughs> I do miss it. Yes. Mm. yes. I seem to be in a bit of a rain shadow. Yes. Except there's nothing to shadow. It's the coming towards me. It's a, mm. There's a sign saying, turn right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Now, Virginia, you're going to be on the outside lines this morning, but I, I grabbed you to come into the studio first up because you and Stephen had a bit of an expedition ex- yesterday. We did. It was a plant trust has four expeditions a year, and we have our AGM. They're our our five sort of things that we do. Right. And yesterday we went to the Melton Botanic Gardens, which I was very reluctant. 
I can't tell you how many pieces of clothing I was wearing. <laughs> well, it was cold, um, but nonetheless, it was the thought, I guess, from your perspective too, of driving out to our side of town, having yes, that, that yes. extra trip to make and all that sort of stuff. No, west. <laughs> yeah, and of course, Melton's not a place renowned for its horticultural merits, so you don't sort of think of Melton and you know good horticulture all in one breath. That's I've, right. I know. have never been to Melton before. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah, well, it's a place I've been to a lot because it's on our side of town and um, my dad used to do landscaping there when I was a kid and we had a florist shop in Melton for about two years in the West Melton shopping complex. Um, so I know the place reasonably well. Um, but, of course, the Botanic Gardens is a new innovation that's only been there a few years and I was really impressed. Mm. It's a really, really fantastic spot. Um, they've got... It's mainly an Australian native dryland botanic garden, so the garden's divided into you know, areas like uh, different sections of Western Australia, the wheat belts or the whatever, and right. the plants from those areas are then planted in, in large beds. And it is truly a remarkable experience. And uh, they've got a huge collection of small eucalypts, which... Virginia and, and I loved. Oh, they they just have such huge flowers. Yeah. Yes, it, it was seems to be so dramatic. You know, the smaller the eucalypt, the bigger its flowers are. <laughs> and, uh, and they were. They were very dramatic. And because Melton is, in fact, in a rain shadow and gets very little rain, um, it's a great uh, exercise to show people what they could grow locally. Although I might add one or two of the neighbours didn't seem to be taking much notice. <laughs> No, no, there was rather a lot of Nandina. Yes. And you think opposite, you've got this stunning garden. There was, I mean, there were things there that I'd never seen before. That that Grevillea Magnifica. Oh, yes. It was just fabulous, you know. Beautiful thing from Western Australia. And and there were quallop bells and all sorts of amazing things growing in this garden. And there's the garden opposite that's got rows and rows and rows of dwarf Nandina. (laughs) And you think, well, maybe they don't care about their garden and they walk through the other one. Give them the benefit of the doubt or something. Something yes. I don't know, but you you would think that you could look across the road and go, oh my god, look at all those incredible plants we can grow. And there were lots of acacias in bloom. There were grevilleas coming out everywhere, hakeas, uh, all sorts of little lechenaltias and dampiras and things. And it was really very very entertaining. And right. be- and because it's doing small eucalypts, you know, if you if you have your normal garden where you can't grow a lot of trees. It's such, particularly to go there at the moment, to see the things in flower, because some of them are just spectacular. Mm. And it shows you what, you know, what to look for. Okay. Mm. Like the fuchsia, the fuchsia eucalypts. They oh, were they're just gorgeous. Gorgeous. Mm. And they had so many, and they had a couple that had hybridised, and they were just fabulous. Okay. Yeah. And they had a, a, a caesia subspecies, caesia, which had the softest pink flowers, which you just don't associate a really soft pink flower with a eucalypt. And I just, mm. I just fell in love with that tree. Yeah. Okay. It was beautiful. And of course, for other, for other reasons, you can go there too, because they're now extending the botanic gardens out into other dry and arid zones around the world. So they've got a South African area that they're developing at the moment, uh, a Mediterranean area that they're developing as well. So they're looking at other dry parts around the world and the floras that grow there as well. Uh, so it's not just Australian natives either. So it's a, it's a really quite remarkable so, spot. So who's the force behind all of this? Because you don't get this they're happening without group. people. Yeah, well, they have a yeah. group that virtually 
demanded from the Melton Council that they have the site and have worked incredibly hard ever since, getting grants from everywhere. Um, they've been a really, really uh, force for good. Um, and, of course, the council's been behind them, which has been good. I mean, a lot of councils sort of go into something like a botanic garden sort of kicking and screaming. You know, they, they really don't want to know about it. They're happy to put in another football field. Mm. Uh, but the Melton Council has, in fact, been very supportive of this thing. Uh, so they've been right behind it the whole time. So they, they help where they need materials and things. They'll they'll source rock for them. They'll do all sorts of things for them. Uh, and they get regular grants from the council to keep going. And they've got their own little nursery down there that they grow stock in. They have sales and things there regularly I to bought, raise funds. I bought five little tube stock gum trees yesterday. Where the <laughs> hell I'm going to put them? I have no idea. You'll find somewhere. I always say to people in the cars the first point of uh, reference <laughs> and then you work, out, work it out from there. Oh, dear. But it was. It was a really good day out and we had lovely lunch that uh, our members put together and then um, we went to a, a little historic house in Melton which you don't sort of associate with Melton either called the Willows. Okay, um, which had no willows. No, I didn't see a willow there. It did have a very big old peppercorn but it didn't have any willows. Um, and it had some really unusual Australian natives too. Yeah, yeah, it had. They had done some interesting plantings there. And then we visited an Australian native privately owned garden uh, up in Bullungarook before we came home, which was fascinating. Which was absolutely beautiful. It yeah. just looked out over the Ludigord Gorge and it, you, couldn't, you could see one hill without growth on it. It was just looking yeah. out at forest. It was so stunning. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so it was yeah. a, for somebody who got up at half past five to cook my bit for the lunch <laughs> and really was in a very whingy mood. I did not want to be doing this. I had the most wonderful day. Mm. It's a thing with Plant Trust. We just do have really, really good events. Our next one, of course, will be the AGM. Yep. Yes, which We're, everybody should be at, uh, which this year will be at the Mueller Hall in the herbarium building um and uh yeah we have a great time i mean the actual agm itself sort of lasts about five minutes and it's over um and then we have our big plant auction which is great great fun and we have wine and cheese and juice so Mm. we have you know we make it fun Mm. and the mueller hall is great because you can fit more people in well that's right exactly so i think i think people (laughs) and more plants yes Yes, and more plants as well so yes so we're hoping to have a really good agm and uh before we know it'll be our christmas event we just keep recycling you know cycling (laughs) through the year doing the different things that we do each year but having fun along the way oh yeah it's great fun so what date's the agm so people can put it in their diary it's a Thursday. Yes, it's a Thursday. And it's uh, an evening? It's an evening thing. So 6.30 start. Yeah. And so come along. 6.30 to mingle. Yeah. And to have a look at what plants have come in so that you can sort of get your head around what you might want to bid for. <laughs> which... And usually we have some fairly unusual things. So mm. there's some competitive bidding, although sometimes there's things that are so rare, virtually no one recognises them. And, you know... Somebody afterwards said, nobody noticed that. I'm so pleased. Yes, <laughs> yes it can be great fun. So, so that's our next event. So, okay, uh, fantastic. Uh, and anyone can go along. Yeah, yeah. we don't have a problem with that. Of course, we may have a problem if we get 550 people all arrive at uh, our AGM because we've never had those sort of numbers. But anyhow, we'll live with it. We'll deal with whatever happens. And do you have to RSVP or just mm. turn up? Well, we've never done that before. So No, no just, just turn, turn up. up. Yeah, yep. 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 Yep, so it should be great fun. And hopefully, if you enjoy the evening, you'll join up and become part of our little organisation and go on some of our other events. Fantastic. So there. Okay, I'd better get to some community announcements and I might ask you to go 
Down I, the corridor. <laughs> can I just tell you one other thing that sure. happened this week? Sure. I had a walk at the Botanic Gardens and it was miserable and it was cold. Yep. And needless to say, no walkers. Right. And I was just thinking about going and eight 3CR listeners turned up. Well, there you go. So it was fantastic. We, and we did a really long walk. We were out for over two hours and we wow. had a ball. And I'm doing another one tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock if anyone wants to come along. Okay. We had a particular look at the camellias because there's so many of them in flower. Right. So we had a lovely day. So go 3CR listeners. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They're pretty special. I'll say. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Virginia. Um, While uh, while Virginia's going down the corridor, I will uh, open up our talkback lines as well. We have Liz on the talkback number. So if anyone would like to phone in and ask a gardening question this morning, we have Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward um, in the studio itself, um, or we've got Liz handling the calls and Virginia on the outside line. So you can, uh, you can talk to Virginia on 94198377 or if you want to jump on the phone and talk to, the, the, uh, to Stephen and Penny, 94190155. Okay, a few things uh, coming up. The first one is for today. We were mentioning camellias a moment ago. Uh, the big uh, Camellias Victoria and Waverley Garden Club uh, Camellia and Garden Show is on today. Now, the venue is Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley. Uh, it opens at 10 o'clock this morning, runs through until 4.30. Cost is $5 for adults. Children are free. It's an iconic camellia and garden show, uh, the largest camellia show in Victoria, and it's a highlight of the Victorian winter horticultural calendar. So um, uh, there'll be th- hundreds of varieties of camellias there. You can receive expert advice on growing them and purchase plants for the home garden. The show features also the Victorian camellia championships as well as floral art, uh, winter and general garden exhibits championships. Uh, so that's today, starting at 10 o'clock this morning, running through until 4.30 this afternoon at Mount Waverley Community Centre. Uh, now, we're still in the month of August, so that means the, uh, the Botanical Art Exhibition down at Cranbourne Gardens is still uh, running. Uh, this is, uh, it's entitled Native Seduction. It's an exhibition of botanical art depicting the fascinating relationship between plants and their pollinators. And it's open uh, daily in the visitor's centre uh, during the whole month of August. The paintings have been created by the Botanical Illustrators Group of the Cranbourne Friends. And uh, there's works by several of their tutors included. A variety of mediums and techniques have been used, including watercolour, coloured pen, pen and ink and oil. And all paintings are for sale Commission from the sales go to supporting the Cranbourne Gardens. Now, uh, <clears throat> coming up, uh, let me see, on uh, Friday, the 1st of September, uh, Encouraging Women in Horticulture is presenting a sustainable gardening forum. Now, there's going to be three guest speakers for this one. Karen Sutherland, who, of course, is often on the program here, from Edible Eden Design. Um, uh, she'll be speaking about companion planting and attracting beneficial insects. Angelica Cameron uh, from IPM Technologies will focus on good bugs and uh, integrated pest management. And Belinda Kennedy from Ceres 
will describe the sustainable gardening practices used at Ceres. Now, as I mentioned, it's on Friday the 1st of September. Starting time is 10am for pre-forum refreshments. Uh, The forum commences at 10.30. 12 noon, there'll be a break uh, for a light lunch. And the whole uh, day is taking place out at Ceres Community Environment Park. That's on the corner of Stewart and Roberts Street in Brunswick East. Now, the fee... If you're a member of Encouraging Women in Horticulture, is $50, non-members $75, student members $35 or student non-members $45. Now, uh, payment and uh, RSVP has been extended. Um, so if you can uh, contact them today or probably tomorrow at the latest. Um, now, the con- uh, you go to events at ewha.com.au. That's events at ewha.com.au. Um, if you'd like for more information, um, I suspect you could probably phone Josephine and her number is 0425 708 950. Uh, now, the, uh, there is an Australian native plant sale coming up on Saturday the 2nd of September. This will take place uh, at Wilson Botanic Park in Berwick. That's on the Princes Highway at Berwick. Uh, Melway's reference there is 111B7. Now, it's a cash-only sale. Um, It's running from 9am in the morning through to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, There'll be native plant stalls, there'll be native flower displays, specialist bookstall and a raffle, and all of this is being run by uh, uh, in support of Wilson uh, Botanic Garden, so Wilson Botanic Park. So that's Saturday, 2nd of September, 9am through to 4pm. It is a cash sale only for those plants. Okay, well, as I mentioned, it's high time we opened up our talk back to listeners. If you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question, We'd love to hear from you this morning. That number, 94190155, to speak to Stephen or Penny on air. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, you can phone 94198377. Okay, uh, Stephen, what's right. been happening <clears throat> in your world? Um, well, lots. Um, we spent all last week remulching paths and things, getting ready for the the spring. Uh, what we do in our garden, a lot of the a lot of the mulching we do. In fact, we mulch paths and we use the wood chips and things that guys cut back from power lines or the local tree surgeons create. Um, so what we do is every two years we t- dig all of our paths out because they've all rotted down, and we use that as mulch on the garden beds. And then we put fresh mulch down and allow that a couple of years, and then that goes onto the garden beds as well. So it works out as quite a nice sort of recycling technique of, uh, you know, the foot traffic actually helps rot down your paths. And the paths are nice and squelchy and soft, so I quite like paths so, like so that. So what do you actually use? Uh, anything that the tree surgeons or power people are cutting back from 
power lines and things. So we we get a mixed bag of stuff. I think this year it was mainly eucalypt. Okay. But um, uh, we've had pine, we've had eucalypt, and of course a lot of the time it's a mixed bag of stuff where they've been yeah. cutting back from. But, a, but you know the source of it because I yeah. think sometimes if you're using ordinary council mulch, that sort of thing, you yeah. can end up with all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah well, this is there, pure tree shredding tree straight tree off the stuff. yeah straight off the trees. So yeah. it hasn't been dumped on the ground anywhere else. Uh, so it's. Fresh. In fact, our pile of it is now starting to steam a little bit uh, as the <laughs> greenery do, starts they? to warm up. Yes. I noticed when I was driving out this morning, there was this steam coming up off mm. the top of the pile. Mm. And um, it's, it just seems to be a really good way of working in the garden. I mean, it's hard work when you've got to remove all your paths and put them back again. But it's once every couple of years. Uh, and the stuff that's underneath is rotted down beautifully. And uh, so it goes up on the garden beds as an almost rotted mulch. Um, and then all the paths get redone again. So that's what we've been doing in the garden. Um, and my poor little work experience lad spent the two days with us helping us move mulch as well. Because uh, I've had a, a, a lad come in to, well, it's normally one day a week, but Apparently, every year when they're doing work experience, they've got to do a whole week. So this last week was his whole week. Right. And because I don't have the nursery open on Wednesdays and Thursdays, he got to come home and help us in the garden at home as well. So it was quite handy, really, to have that extra pair of hands. Great. So, yeah, so we got quite a lot done, but we've still got a huge pile of mulch to deal with. But anyhow, so that's what we've been doing, um, uh, apart from weeding and, you know, all the other things that you do do. Uh, some late planting, just trying to get a few things in that um, I've had in mind to plant in the gardens. A few trees have gone in. Uh, I'm renovating one of my borders where things have got a little out of hand. Uh, Carrier japonica has taken off across one of the one of the beds, and somehow or another one of those dreadful weedy asparagus climbers had got in amongst it. So I thought, oh. all right. Time to do something. So I dug out some of the carrier and moved it somewhere else, and now I'm pulling out the rest and trying to get at the asparagus that's come up in there. Um, and once I've got that bit of the border renovated, I'll plant something new back into it. So it's all part of the fun of gardening, actually, is this sort of renewal thing because uh, it's never finished. Oh, no, it's so, never finished. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's good fun. So we're getting quite a lot done in the garden, actually, at the moment. Good. Uh, waiting for the tulips to start flowering. There's you know nice growth coming up on most of them except the very late ones I put in because I was away in France and they sat in my shed. Um, but I'm assuming they'll, they'll be fine. They'll come up. Um, well, it's been so cold you didn't need them in the crisper. <laughs> oh, certainly not. Um, but, yes, I did get them in rather later than I would have normally expected to get them in. Um, but, but they'll I be think fine. So, sometimes those mistakes are good because you learn mm. from them. Oh, yes, and of course. And you see, you see how late mm. you can put them in yeah. and, and whether they flower. Sometimes they'll flower better mm. and, yeah. you know, I... I it's always my excuse for procrastinating. I'm, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm testing things out. And look, sometimes, <laughs> you're right, sometimes those things, you, you think you're doing something that probably won't work, but you need to do it because, uh, like two years ago, uh, we had an opening coming up in the garden. I think it was two years ago. And I sowed a late crop of sweet corn just to fill a bed. Yep. Because I thought, oh, well, I'll have the greenery up. It'll be, it'll be fine. It'll just fill the bed. Yes. Uh, and it was far too late to be planting sweet corn. But we had quite a long, uh, warm autumn, and I got a second crop of sweet corn. Mm. You know, well, there so, you go. Yeah, and I would never have thought to actually plant it at that time yep. of the year. Yep. But I just had this empty bed, and I thought, oh, it's a shame just to leave it vacant, you know, a couple of dollars worth of sweet corn seed, and I'll have some greenery there. Yeah. I actually got a crop of sweet corn. So <laughs> you can never tell. You can't. 
you know, and that that is the pleasure of gardening. I yep, have to say, absolutely, yeah, we're learning all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's good too. I, I think that's really important that we're always learning. We don't just need the taxonomists out there changing names so that we have to try and keep up. You know, there's other ways of learning in the garden. Uh, we had actually yesterday we had quite a few debates about it because quite a number of our native groups of plants are potentially having their names changed, right? Uh, and big changes like the botanists at the moment. Some of them agree that we should, in fact, put all the dryandras in with banksia. Oh. Frighteningly. Um, oh. There's a certain lady who painted all the banksias who will not accept such a change. Right. But yeah, okay. <laughs> because then it means she didn't paint all the banksias. Um, and, of course, our uh, well-known bottle brushes are going to disappear under Melaleuca. Right. Uh, given half a chance by some of these... Botanists. So they won't be calistamins? No, they'll all be okay. species of Melaleuca. Apparently the major difference between the two groups is that one has fused stamens at the base and the other doesn't, and that's the only thing that holds Melaleuca and calistamin apart mm. from what I understand. Okay. Although if Roger and uh, Gwen are listening in, they'll probably debate that with me as well. I don't know. Uh, and I don't know whether it's a good or a bad thing, some of these things, but uh, it does seem to be the era of the lumper at the moment. They, they seem to be lumping things in together uh, and making super genera. Um, Rather than separating about. Yeah, which was something. Are that they trying to, to simplify? I, look, I, I don't the think whole system. Or I think a lot of it's based on DNA work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realise so that. It's, it's, it's just technology. what science is is, yeah. is throwing up, and they're going. Yeah. All right, well, so be it. I mean, there's a chance Hakea and Grevillea might get pushed in together too. Uh, so it's. Yeah, it's a bit frightening. Um, and you certainly don't want to be saying anything pedantic about plant names at the moment because you're bound to have somebody who will come along and say, oh, didn't you know that three years ago they changed the name of that to something or another? Yep. Uh, so you do have to preface almost everything with uh, the last time I checked or, um, you know, that's the name I know it by or, yes. or whatever because who knows? You know, That's right. A bit frightening. But anyhow, we try and keep up. And yep. if my old nomenclature teacher from college were alive today, I'd have words with him because I still remember him saying, no, you have to learn the Latin names because it gives stability. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, not anymore. (laughs) Oh, dear. I'm sure, though, that if people... um know what's been the accepted name for quite a while. It's going to take a while for local nurseries to catch up on all of this. The so nursery, if they go in yeah. with the name that they they yeah. know. If they, if they stick with the names they know, at least the chances are they'll get plants. And, in fact, the nursery industry is always quite slow to move over to name change. And changes. fair yes. enough, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't blame they've had them. all the labels printed already. Yes, that's yeah. right. They've got yeah. to wait till they run out before they... Yeah, exactly. And, you know, all of that I can understand. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of nurseries that make absolutely no effort to get up to date with things too. True. Um, one of the changes in names that seems to have been picked up by the nursery trade surprisingly quickly, though, is when um, uh, the magnolia genus suddenly became larger because all the mycelias were put in with magnolia. And a lot of the nurseries are now calling what were mycelias magnolia, uh, which is only a comparatively recent change. Well, but surely that's pretty obvious because mag- mm. people magnolia love magnolias sells. and yeah. they're really popular. Yeah. And, and I was and going to say that's what there. I think the reason is, yes. is that the name magnolia is actually more of a selling name than mycelia. I think it is, uh, yeah. And so the nurseries have actually jumped on that one reasonably quickly. Mm. Okay. But, I mean, you'll still buy labels with azalea written on them when, in fact, they're all rhododendrons, and that was done about 100 years ago. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so there's some that they won't change in a hurry and, and others that they will but uh, yes we're in a very interesting period mm. and uh, I've actually on my computer now got the Q plant list as one of my bookmarks because I'm going in and checking mm. quite regularly. Well if you're writing in, an article yeah. you really do need to check yeah, you do, don't you? You do or mm. if I'm writing out labels 
Yes, uh, true. I'm checking names now to make sure that I'm – I mean, I had one that jumped out at me the other day that frightened the bilio out of me because it's, it's a genus that I collect, and that's the mayapples, the potophyllums, mostly from China. Uh, there's a North American one, which is the true mayapple, which has a, a fruit on it you can eat. Um and the American one's the only one that's been left in Potophyllum. Everything else has been dumped into something else. And now I've had to rewrite all my labels with oh. uh, Disosma on them. Okay. D-Y-S-O-S-M-A, Disosma, uh, for all the Chinese May apples. Right. So, and it's something I hadn't – well, I'd sort of known there was something going on, but I hadn't sort of – picked up on it and I'd already started writing Potterfilm labels and I thought, oh, I better just go in and check, see what's going on. And lo and behold. <laughs> it did happen. Yep. <laughs> Pam, can I just tell you a story? You sure. asked me last time I was here why I was going to Bacchus Marsh. Yes. Um, last year I discovered that my grandmother had had a rose named after her. Ah. And um, I started looking for it and sort of asking around and nobody had heard of it. And I gave up because I got busy and all the rest yeah, of it. And, as then, you do. and then at Christmas time, my daughter Ellen produced a, um, a bo- little box with some dried rose flowers in it and um, a, a photograph of her standing in front of a rose. And she had found this rose. So my, wow. my, my grandfather was Governor of New South Wales and so my grandmother was Lady Woodward. And this rose was called Lady Woodward, and it was a right Muller rose. Oh. So he was a, a guy who was lived in Brisbane, um, Queensland and New South Wales, and it was only towards the end of his life that he started breeding roses. But he bred some of the most, I think three or four of the most regarded mm. as the most important Australian bred roses. Lady Woodward wasn't one of them, but it's... Um, and she found that um, in Bacchus Marsh, um, a local nursery guy whose name is John Neustig, who you might know of him, but mm. he's he has had for years a huge nursery and garden, but he donated a whole lot of roses to to the Friends of Maddingley Park Heritage Rose Garden. And right. this group of amazing people have been growing these roses and as far as I know this is the only example of Lady Woodward in Australia there might be one other in New South Wales gosh so Ellen found this and and got in touch with (laughs) wow and um had been communicating with them and went up and had a look at it and was allowed to pick a couple of roses so she could give them to me for Christmas (laughs) and then a month ago I actually went up there um and they'd taken some cuttings in the summer and they'd managed mm. to get three to grow. Oh, and, fantastic. And they gave me one of them. Oh, fantastic. But I was also able to take my own cuttings under John Neustig's um, yes. supervision. Yes. yes. And he'd he make was, sure you were well, he behaving actually, yourself. He actually did them for me, which was really nice. So <laughs> But it was funny because the week before I'd been listening to 3CR as I was driving somewhere and um, – uh, oh God, just mental blank on their name. Your rose pet. Graham. Graham. Okay. Graham was talking about how they'd been taking cuttings in Coya. Yes. And he'd found that they were much more successful. And so I'm as soon as I heard that, knowing I was going up to take cuttings, I went and filled all these pots with Coya and got it all moist mm. and, and gave the friends a whole lot of them as well. And we shoved all the cuttings in. So I now have one rose that is has its roots and yes. is growing Fantastic. beautifully that I've put into a pot. As I have six siblings and 19 um, nephews and nieces. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Wow. I'm trying to come up with a rose for each of them so that everybody in that generation has has one of these roses. Oh, so, fantastic. Wow. So, so what does your grandmother's rose look like? Uh, exactly. It's a, it's a really beautiful pink tea mm. rose. So it's yeah. a classic 
It's a classic rose. Um, for a lady. Yeah, for a yeah, Perfect. Yeah, exactly. But it's a, it's a deep pink, which yeah. is which is really – look, pink's probably not my favourite colour, and I'm not, but I'm not complaining. I was no, such a, I wouldn't. It was such a, um, such a lovely story. So I've now got about 15 cuttings in, and John was lovely because he kept saying, well, you should have this rose as well, and giving me cuttings of other roses. <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> John, yeah. I've got about six or seven other cuttings mm. as well, and um, – such a lovely group of people, and Don Giorno, who actually put the original cuttings in and came with these three cuttings and let me have one of them, um, was fantastic. And and yeah, so it was just such a such a nice story. But oh, I just needed to make sure that they were okay for me to talk about it all. And yeah, so mm. it was. Um, so I now have a have a Lady Woodward rose again, and I didn't, although I knew my grandmother. Um, I, they lived in Sydney, so I didn't really see a lot of them. Yes. And my grandfather died quite young. But um, I, I didn't know that she'd had a rose named yeah. after it. Oh, so lovely? it was I found that out much mm. later. So, yeah. So that was – I just thought you might like to hear that story. What a fantastic yeah, great story. story. Yeah, it's lovely. And I'm so pleased the rose was still in existence. Yeah, because yeah, so many of these things just disappear. Yeah. And, in yes. fact, that's what Plant Trust is about. Exactly. Don Journay yeah. and um, uh, John Neusteg are both – on the committee of of Plant Trust. Uh, And that's our whole aim is to try and protect the biodiversity that we've got because things like Australian bred cultivars often don't go outside our shores. So if we lose them, we lose them for good. They're just gone. Uh, And so John has for years had uh, uh, collections of the Australian bred roses. He's been our main collection collection holder of the Alistair Clarks and things. Uh, and it's really important that we keep this biodiversity because once it's gone, it is gone. And and it also includes exotic plants that come in that we've got that sometimes we end up with the only specimens of their type because they fade mm-hmm. out overseas. And, of course, with uh, appropriately strong quarantine restrictions, if we lose uh, an overseas cultivar, even if it still exists overseas, it's almost impossible to get them back again because unless it's something that's going to sell by the thousands, you're not going to spend all that time, money and effort to bring them back. That's right. So if we don't protect our diversity of plant material, and of course that was part of why we went out to Melton yesterday too, is the fact that uh, they're uh, provisionally registering their Erymophila collection and their and their small eucalypt collection okay. uh, out at Melton um, Botanic Gardens. Uh, so we're getting, you know, all sorts of different groups of plants being sort of presented for collection status, uh, and it means that they're documented. We know where they are. Uh, if something happens, say it's a private collection and something happens to the owner of the collection, we can hopefully step in and try and find somebody else who will take over the collection. Yeah, yep. you know, so there's, there's all those things that are involved with this whole um, plant trust sort of ethos uh, because Australia really, uh, could, because we've got such a diversity of climatic zones and things, we could be holding collections of almost every group of plants in the world. I mean, mm. you could have growers in Tasmania holding collections of high alpines uh, up to northern Queensland with with cycads or some other tropical genera. Yeah. Um, all over the country we could be holding collections of real real international importance. Yes. And, uh, and that's what mm. botanic gardens do too. Yeah, I mean, and a lot, exactly. of why, a lot of people don't understand the mm. science behind botanic gardens. And the, yeah, they they're, go for a they're, walk. They're really <laughs> important collections mm. of plants that yeah. can, can be really important for scientific study and for understanding mm. a whole group of plants. And instead of having to travel to eight places around the world to study a particular group yeah. of plants, you can go to one botanic gardens because they're all growing there. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the Melbourne you know, Botanic so Gardens holds one of the, the world's great camellia collections yes. and that's registered 
registered by the Plant Trust, so it's one of our registered collections. Mm. They also have a viburnum collection that's registered there. Okay. So uh, I've got oh, and we've got the Pomoderis collection there as well, and the Oracaceae. So they've got four mm. different collections mm. that are actually registered with Plant Trust uh, in the bot. And gardens. other botanic gardens would have the same thing. Yeah, yeah. They, um, so. Well, as long as they stay on side, we've had a little bit of trouble down at Geelong um, uh, with non re, non re joining of the organisation, but uh, they had one of the very early collections, actually, along of the um, species Pelagoniums. Okay. okay. Uh, and they also mm-hmm. hold uh, one of the Selvia collections. Yes, they've got so, a lot of Selvia. Yeah, so quite a number of the botanic gardens around are collection holders, and it's great when you get uh, a collection into a public space like that because there's the sense of longevity yeah. with the collection. Yeah. But nonetheless, private collectors have certainly a place to be because there's lots of groups of plants that don't really fit the gamut of a botanic garden that... Uh, private collectors could be collecting uh, and and in some cases doing it better than even perhaps botanic gardens can because they become obsessive collectors and they and they concentrate on that particular group mm. of plants I mean we've got a collection down in uh, Colac uh, of aloes and I believe there's more than 500 different accessions in the collection good heavens which is huge that yeah. is you know yeah. so you know, and that's a, a, a private person who's just mm. become an obsessive about that particular group of plants. Yes, um, and has collected like mad, and yep. uh, and now is holding a really important um, uh, genetic collection of plants. But I think also the thing that is essential in all of this are all the volunteers. Mm. Um, and and with this group at, at in um, in Backus Marsh, they, you know, the council is not all that excited about the mm. rose gardens, and they have just kept the thing going and yep. going and going, and and. You know, when you're having to make use of public land and if you're not being enthusiastically accepted and the council doesn't always recognise how important these, these no, gardens are. they don't. Um, I, I, you know, volunteers are the lifeblood of oh. all, so many organisations, mm. but more and more you're seeing it in, in the plant world where, where volunteers maintain collections, yep. they mm. do work in gardens, they... Just the huge yeah. range of range of things. That well, they do another and need important to be collection is the Alistair Clark Rose Collection at Buller. Yes, um, yeah. and I mean, I don't. I mean, the council helps spend some money on it to maintain it, but they're not particularly interested in it. And yeah. it's only the friends group that really hold that together. And that's a yeah. remarkable collection of roses. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so it is the, you're right, the volunteer groups are really important. Yeah, and I just, the one person I forgot to mention in this whole rose story was Pam Pinney, who was the one who answered Ellen's original email and stayed in touch with her and made it all, all happen. So thank you, Pam. Isn't that fabulous? Yeah. That's a great story. Excellent. Okay, uh, just waiting for this caller to go up. There we go. We'll go to our first caller. We have Jason, who's out in Moorabark. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, fellows, and good morning, team. How are you? Good. I'd like to say to all those who who do gardening, keep on doing what you do. You do a good job, and you will go well and buy Mandisa's latest CD out of the dark deluxe edition. I have the cop- a copy of it. It's a very good CD as well. Okay. All right. Good on you, Jason. Thank you. Bye, Bye. for now. That number, if you'd like to uh, to give us a call, that number is 
0155 or if you'd like to speak to Virginia on the outside line 94198377. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're going to be running through until 9.15 so do feel free to jump on the phone and give us a call. Stephen, let's get to one of your plants. Yeah, well I bought a few things that are doing their sort of late winter thing in the garden at the moment. These are all woody plants this time. I haven't brought any bulbs or perennials down. And a plant that's looking surprisingly interesting, maybe not to everybody's um, way lovely in the garden at the moment. Well, I uh, love it. Yeah, I think it's great. <laughs> the, the contorted or crazy filbert. Um, so it's a hazelnut, basically. Yep. Um, and it's uh, Corallus avalana contorta, and its branches zigzag all over the place. They have no particular rhyme or reason about them, so the whole plant ends up as this twisted, curled sort of shrub and in fact it takes it to a new level because its leaves also twist and curl oh, wow. so you get these strange curled leaves and I regularly get people coming in wondering what they have to spray it with to get rid of the <laughs> curly leaf but it's actually natural but in the winter when it's bare you've got this amazing tracery of bare stems and then you get these gorgeous little creamy coloured catkins that hang all over the plant and when it's draped with these in the winter it is a truly remarkable sight. Mm. Uh, they make good tub specimens, so if you're looking for something sort of unique and interesting in a tub, they look particularly good against a blank background. So if you've got a, a, a solid wall or something behind them, then the tracery stem stands out better than if it's got greenery behind it. Yes. Uh, and also, of course, if it's a wall, you'll get the shadowing which can work quite well. Uh, they don't like the really hot wind. Uh, it will burn their leaves. But apart from that, the contorted filbert's pretty tough and hardy. It's a, it's a reasonably easy plant to grow. Uh, the only one point of warning I will give, though, um, the nursery industry is still, in general, grafting or budding this onto a normal hazelnut, and it will spend the rest of its life suckering. Okay. So if you do buy a contorted filbert, uh, ask for one on its own roots. Don't buy a grafted one. Uh, I've got an old grafted one at the nursery, and every year I have to get in underneath it and chip out the suckers. It drives me nuts. But it was given to me by my mother for my 18th birthday, So, and back then you couldn't get anything but grafted ones. Yep. Uh, so I have to live with it. Uh, and my plant now, and uh, everybody can guess how old I am and then work it back from there if they want to, but it was given to me for my 18th birthday. It got nearly burnt to the ground in the Ash Wednesday bushfires in 83, uh, but it would be four and a half metres tall by about four metres wide. Okay. Uh, but it has taken quite a long time to get there. Yes. Uh, and they root prune quite well, so if you want to grow them in tubs, you can keep recycling them in a tub for years and years and years. And so I think the contorted filbert's fantastic. And what I really want now is the other one. Uh, in Europe, they've got one uh, that I've seen in some of the, the gardens I've been into in northern France, which is the same sort of format as this one. So it has the lovely contorted stems, but it has pink catkins and burgundy foliage. Mm. How lovely. Uh, wow. And I can't remember what its name is. It's scarlet something or purple something oh. or whatever. Uh, but these these sort of soft pink catkins and, and this burgundy contorted foliage, stunning. And I believe somebody tried to import it at some stage and lost it in quarantine. But anyhow, oh. so I don't so think no it's got, one's got it in I don't Australia. think it's got into the country. Uh, it's mm. one of those plants that I would love to see in, in horticulture here because it would be a, a hit, I'm sure, with the public. Uh, but as far as I know, the purple one hasn't come in. Okay. Very unfortunately. Yeah. So that's the contorted filbert, which I think is great. Okay. Next one. All right. Now, uh, a plant that's sort of fairly obscure, uh, but I enjoy in my own garden, and occasionally I convince people to buy it, um, is a North American plant called an osso berry, O-S-O, osso berry. Um, 
It's botanically known as Omlaria, and it's one of the first deciduous plants to come into leaf every every year. It's actually in leaf now, mm-hmm. um, and yet it's solidly deciduous. And it has these little tiny white bell-like flowers that hang in sort of sprays. And it has a sort of a coconutty sort of weird smell about the flowers. Mm. Uh, it's a hardy deciduous shrub. It'll grow up to about three metres, maybe three and a half metres mm. tall. Um, and it has a very vertical habit. Uh, it sort of is a suckered clump. So you get this sort of clump of suckered stems that come up. But its side branches sort of come out sideways, as they should. <laughs> uh, but you've got this verticality of all the main trunks of it. Uh, and so it's very, very early flowering and it comes out into green leaves still when it's winter. Um, apparently, you need a male and a female if you're going to get the berries that the ossa berry can, in fact, create. Uh, I think my plant is male and I've never seen a female plant in the country, so I don't know whether the female plant exists. But okay. if it does in Australia, it would have rather large, dark plum-like fruit, uh, which you can use for making jellies and jams and things, uh, but I've only got the one one sex of it, and as I said, I think mine's male, and so I'll never see any ossa berries, but the plant itself is, is rather lovely. Mm. And just to finish off with it, it, it does get very attractive, um, very soft yellow autumn foliage. So it's a really interesting plant. So the osso berry, I guess if you looked it up in on Google, just go OSO uh, and find it, you'll you'll see lots of stuff about it. They use it in North America as a, a bank-stabilising shrub and things because it gets a nice solid root system. Um, and apparently they collect the berries and make jams and things out of it. So uh, okay. it's well known there, but very rarely seen here. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, I must uh, once again thank all our listeners who've supported us uh, during our annual uh, Radiothon. Um, just a reminder, we're nearly at our target. We have uh, $1,500 to go. So if oh, we could get me. that in, it would be wonderful. We still have so many gardening books available. Mm. If uh, if listeners would like to, well, if you, if you want to come into the station during the week, you can browse through them all and mm. make a selection or... Um, if you want to ring up and ask one of the staff members to let you know roughly what there is or what topics or subjects, if you have a particular subject. Of course, they make fantastic um, Christmas or birthday gifts um, or prizes if you're a garden club. We also still have a lot of um, nursery vouchers and also vouchers for workshops, uh, which can be a wonderful way of learning, uh, mm. particularly on a topic you might not know much about because you're actually not only hearing about it but you're seeing demonstrations yeah. and uh, so you really understand what's going on. So, um, And, of course, we still have um, some garden product um, if you're wanting for some potting mix or, or something when as soon as spring hits, um, if you're needing some sort of a fertiliser or tonic for the garden, uh, for instance, we've got loads of um, uh, seaweed products still mm. left. Um, so do think about uh, us before you just go to uh, go to a, a big uh, barn of a shop and mm. uh, shop there because not only are you supporting the gardening show, you're supporting the station in general. This is the main revenue we have for all our running costs for the next 12 months and I would love the gardening show to get to its uh, – to its target would be good. set. It would be great. So um, do uh, do think about giving the station a call during the week or popping down. Um, the staff would be only too happy to help you. We are at 21 Smith Street in Collingwood or the number to ring through during the week is 94198377 and have a chat to someone. But uh, 
Again, a big thank you to all our listeners who have supported us this year. Yeah. Um, it's just a wonderful effort and we really, really do appreciate it. Uh, Penny, you've got a special book there to talk about. I have indeed. Um, this is Organic Gardener's second book. Um, the first one was, was the Chook one. And it's, it's made, it's put together from a, a combination of um, articles from the magazine and some, and some specially written articles. So it's a, a little bit like the MOOC, but it, it covers the whole subject of vegetables. So um, I, I, quite a few of my articles are in there. Um, Phil Dudman's, um, there's articles from lots of the other writers um, for the magazine. It's a really nice compilation and I think a really balanced compilation, but then I'd probably say that because I selected the articles. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's, actually, it's actually quite tricky because the articles for a magazine are written in a certain way mm. and they don't necessarily fit into the way that you want a book to go together. Yeah, so, yeah it's a different sort um, of style. So, yeah, and it, it's quite hard picking the ones that are going to going to work together to create a mm. good whole. But I think I think the thing with this is is that I think we have done a good job of pulling together a, a really good um, array of articles. It goes all the way from you know what to do with your soil and planting seeds and all of that right through an A to Z of veggies. So it's only it's only vegetables, it's not fruit. And then at the end, um, there's a bit about harvesting and and bottling and making storing and, and, yeah, and storing yeah. and all that sort of thing. There's some really good tables. I'm a big fan of tables because it means that you can find things, yeah. find yes. answers quickly. Absolutely. So you know, and um, there's there's also lots of little bits. There's a really nice article by Phil Dudman on green manures, and it actually tells you what benefits you get from all the different manures and when they should be planted. Oh, good. So you know that sort of thing. I think I think is really useful. It's. Um, it's a small small format book, uh, and you can get it in bookshops, and it retails for thirty five dollars. But I'm pretty sure that the ABC at the moment has a special on it for twenty seven dollars through the ABC shop, and I think that goes till the end of August. Okay, because that's part of the sort of promotion for the for the new release. So look, if you're looking for a good general book on organic gardening, um, and it is you know all about organics. Um, then, then this I think is a really good way to to start. Um, and what's the title again? Penny? It's called Backyard Bounty. Well, that's yeah. a that's yeah. a very apt title. Well, I, I think so. Yes. yes, and and it just it reflects the depth of the articles in the magazine. So, it's not you know has some some books will be quite superficial. It does go into quite a lot of depth in on a lot of topics right right through. So. Yeah, it, it, so it provides more information than perhaps the average introductory book might do. And I presume it would also be available online. Yeah, yeah, it's through. If you want to get it through the ABC shop, you'll get it. You'll get it a little bit cheaper um, at the moment. But yes, it is available online. But it it should also be available in bookshops. Excellent. If you want to go get it through your local bookshop, or you could go to your library and get them to get it in, and then you could just borrow it. Yep. Being a big supporter of libraries. <laughs> <laughs> Not averse to people borrowing books from libraries. No, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, so fantastic. Keep your eye open for it. Okay. Now, we've had a listener phone in wanting to know who sells Solomon's Seal. I know that diggers do have it. Yeah. Um, do you know anyone else, Stephen? Yeah, well, I sell a few You've got it? Yeah, and I have not just the classic one, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I have a whole range of them. Right. So I have evergreen ones and very tall ones and very short ones and and what have you. And did you know that Classic Solomon Seal's edible? 
Yes, I did. Good. Yes, because <laughs> I only found out quite recently. Um, you can use the shoots like you would asparagus. So you yeah. just use the new shoots come out. I might add, it probably has an impact on the attractiveness of the plant if you keep picking, picking the shoots. The shoots. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going to try it at some stage because I've not yeah. tried it uh, and see what it tastes like. So. Yeah, look, it's a bulb, so you can actually get it through most bulb suppliers mm. okay. too. Yeah. So you can just buy the bulbs. Yes. So if you go to your regular bulb suppliers, you can, you can yes, get Yes, so I'm sure you'd get Solomon Seal from, you know, all the big ones Garden, like Garden Tesla's Express and, and Tesla's. Garden Express and Yes. Yeah, all those yeah. sort of ones would, would have yeah. it as well. Um, and, and they're lovely plants. I like Solomon yeah. Seal. I mean, just the classic one is just such a lovely garden plant. Uh, and you pick three stems, put them in a vase, and they look like a floral arrangement. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. I, I was Gorgeous. There's a huge clump of them out at, um, out at Heidi at the back oh, of yeah. the gallery. And it's just when they're in flower, it's just lovely walking mm. around there. I don't get there very often, but, yeah, I remember that particular clump mm. really well. Mm. So there you go, Solomon Seal. Okay. Stephen, we should remind uh, people um, about uh, the big uh, oh, event yes, the, coming up. Yes, the Garden Lovers Fair. Yes. I mean, I hope most people have got it in their diary now. Well, we have mentioned it a couple of times, but you we would should remind so. people. Yes, uh, it's a little ways off yet. It's the 7th and 8th of October, uh, but it's the biggest event that the Mount Macedon Horticultural Society runs. Um, it's uh, at Bolabek, which is one of our well-known and famous properties of Mount Macedon, originally developed by Oswald Syme, the uh, original owner of the age. Newspaper, yes. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful heritage property. Um, it's open from 10 to 4, uh, both Saturday and Sunday, the 7th and 8th of October. Uh, the car park will open at 9.30. Um, it is $10, and that gives you entry to the fair and to the garden. So you've got both within the $10, which I think is quite reasonable um, value. And um, there'll be a series of speakers throughout the two days. Uh, I know I've been booked to go down for a couple of talks. Um, I think Carolyn Blackman's coming up for one. We've got, a, uh, I think, Attila's doing one. So there's a, a range of different speakers that are, are coming up to do talks. Um, I think one or two of the stallholders are also going to do talks as well. Um, so it's a great weekend out. Uh, if people are interested and want to know more about it, um, including who we've got as speakers and things and when, uh, you can go into the website, which is gardenloversfair, all one word, .com.au, uh, and have a look in there. And I think we've got uh, online ticketing available too through there now. Um, I think I was told that it's actually up and running now. But anyhow, Good. it certainly will be for before the fair gets going. So if you want to buy tickets online, you'll be able to do that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great event. So I would uh, recommend it to everybody. There'll be over 30 stallholders. That's um, a lot. It is a lot. And, uh, and it won't just be plant growers. There'll be, you know, sort of allied stall holders. I know that Peter at Ewood's going to have a stall there so people can see the uh, recycled plastic tim uh, timber that he makes. Uh, there'll be people selling garden furniture, garden tools, uh, seeds. You know, so a whole range of, uh, of different products as well as a whole range of growers coming up with their plants. Excellent. So it should be a great weekend. Fantastic. Okay. We have a few callers to get through. So first up, we'll go to Jan, who's in Lilydale. Good morning, Jan. Oh, good morning, pal. Uh, look, I've had possums eating my magnolia tree for the last two or three years. And somebody rang up, I think it was your show, uh, and said that they don't like wind chimes. So I thought, I'll give it a go. 
Well, this year I've got a whole tree all covered in flowers, and I'm thrilled to bits. Oh, fantastic! Well, now the possum, the possum may have died. I don't know. But <laughs> yes, I was <laughs> going to say this hasn't been sort of scientifically tested. No, has no, it? But no. <laughs> no, it was sheer luck. Okay, I'll share the Banksia rose and another climbing rose there with them. They don't do much harm, but I will not share the magnolia, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, no, I, I I see that as perfectly reasonable. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I've got a full tree. It's uh, was planted in 1972, and it's huge, and it's absolutely gorgeous this year. And yeah. you've got a wonderful musical garden as well. Uh, well, they're not very noisy, actually. They don't okay. make that much racket. Mm. But apparently possums don't like them. Okay. And, I, it yeah. sounds reasonable, but I don't know whether it's, as I say, as you say, it's not scientific, but it <laughs> yes. seems to have worked. Yeah. I'm sure they might get used to the sound after a year or so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, there's that possibility too, but yeah. the possum may have gone somewhere else by then. Yep. Anyway, thank you very much. Okay, good on you. Bye. Bye. All right, next up we have uh, Val in Hampton. Good morning, Val. Good morning. Morning, all. Could I speak to probably Stephen? I don't know, but anyway, Stephen. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a stephanotis which has pr- uh, produced a plumber-sized uh, seed, which yeah. well, it's been in for about four years. So, how do I deal with it? Well, if you if you're wanting to propagate it from the seed, that could be quite tricky because stephanotis are a sort of tropicalish plant, and so you'll need to let the seed ripen on the plant until it's basically ready to drop. Most things are better if they're ripened on the plant. Uh, uh, what to what? degree does it go brown well it should color you should it should go brown or yellow or, or something it, it shouldn't be green by the time it's ready to pick and, and yes, sow. Yes. Um, you would then clean the outsides off it and see what's inside so most of these things have a fruity outside so it's a good idea to clean them off and i'm not actually sure with stephanotis whether the pod is an individual seed or whether it has multiple it, it seeds it doesn't look it. like a pod it's like a plum yeah but you know i mean the, the fruit itself Yes, I understand. It may well have multiple seeds inside. I'm not sure. I've never raised Stephanotis, I have to say. So I'm sort of working from uh, just basic horse sense on what I do with a plant like that. So I'd need to find out whether there was multiple seeds in there. And if there is, I would separate them, obviously. But the problem you're going to have is to get the seed to germinate because they'll probably need some bottom heat. Oh, I see. Uh, Now, you can create bottom heat with just a light globe sitting over... Or underneath yes. something to let a little bit of warmth come up through it, but most of those sort of subtropical and tropical plants need quite constant warmth to germinate them. Right, and that that in could be the issue if you're going to try and raise it from the seed. Right. I might add, I would have thought Stephanotis would be easier to grow from cuttings than anything else. But I see. Um, but if you want to try, I mean, you've got nothing much to lose. No, uh, no, that's that's true. Yeah, but I would suggest it will need some warmth to do it. Uh, I mean, if you had a, a, a um, um, hot water heater with some warmth or a, a fridge that has some warmth coming up the back or something like that that you could I utilise. Think this is, this, it's going to be too difficult or too long for me, so I'll try the striking part. Yeah, well, I think from cuttings would probably be the best cuttings. way to have a go, and I'd wait until the weather warms up to do those too. You're right. And the other, th- other thing was a tree tomato. I have never seen them for sale as plants but i suppose they are aren't they yeah yeah you'll you'll, you'll see them out there for sale uh they'll I've just excuse me could i just say that the, that i bought bought one at a dollar 50 or something and to see if it's got seeds well it has got some seeds in it so yeah. if i can try the seeds would that be would they be viable viable they should be 
Mm. I would have thought. Um, mm. If you've bought a, a, the fruit and you've got the seed in it, I don't see any reason why you couldn't raise it. So we're talking tamarillos. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, yes. and that's yeah. what I was going to say too. If you're buying them somewhere, you're likely to see them sold as tamarillos. So you're not likely to see them sold as tree tomatoes. So oh, you may have to look for uh, the right name on a label and they probably won't come into stores and things until the weather starts to warm up. Yeah, I know Diggers has tamarillos. Well, well yeah. that's when I've just bought it. So, uh, 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 Looking as if it might have a seeds in it, but yeah. whether it will or not, I've, I've I've opened it, but they're sort of mushy up like a tomato. But yeah. I, I, I wondered where else I would find them. And, well, if you're looking for a plant, I know Diggers has them for sale. Oh, well, that's a bit far away, but they do do mail order. Oh, do they? Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Well, just to, also to say that I uh, did uh, uh, send a donation. And uh, amongst the donations, I received a bonus from Karanga Nursery, and my niece took me up there last week, and oh, it was good. went great joy to visit the garden and and to thank you, thank you very much for the for the bonus that I of amongst. Oh, that's the, great! Oh, that's great! That's great! And, and it was, um, a, it was a wonderful sight, really. It was a joy to be there. Excellent! I'm so pleased to have that feedback, and thank you for supporting 3CR. Oh, we that's really fine. appreciate it. Oh well, that's fine. But thanks for information. I'm always listening. Thank okay, you. Okay, good on you, Val. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Right next, we have uh, Linda out in Broadford. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Yes. Um, good morning, all. Uh, I'd, I'd like some information, if you have it. Uh, about root pruning um, a stone pine which has been in the tub for the same tub with a water uh, reservoir at the bottom, a very big tub, uh, for the last six, seven years. And uh, it has, I'll have to use um, Imperial, I'm not accurate enough with, with um, any other form of measurement, but the, the trunk is about four and a half inches mm-hmm. uh, in diameter. Um, give or take, and it would the tree would be about five 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 high, mm-hmm. and um, I'd I'd like to put it in the ground, but I suspect because it's granitic soil where it's growing, which is not um, is not Broadford, it's it's actually placed up at some um, the Tellerill Hills, so mm-hmm. it's granitic soil. Um, but so I thought, could, can I? Is it too late to root prune? Uh, no, you can still root prune it if you want to, but I don't really see any reason why it wouldn't grow in the granitic soils. You think? Okay. Yeah. So you think, uh, and I mean, you're never going to grow a stone pine in a pot and get stone pine seed. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. So, no it's the sentimental reasons that I have it yeah. and have it in a pot. Yeah, well, um, if you're going to keep it in a pot, you will need to do some root pruning because you'll have to treat it a bit like a bonsai if you're going to keep it in health yes, in a big pot. Yes. Uh, and it's certainly not too late to root prune now, but I wouldn't leave it for much longer. Right, so and I, and if I wanted to put it in the ground, if I can uh, dig a hole deep enough mm-hmm. and wide enough, um, should I should I try and unfurl the roots? I presume they'll be a bit coiled at this uh, stage. Look, a little bit, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go too mad with that because uh, conifers have quite a fibery sort of root system, and they will grow out from that reasonably well. Um, but, yeah, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't grow in the ground. I mean, in their native habitat all through Italy and other yep. Mediterranean regions, they grow in some really, really ordinary soil uh, and grow perfectly well, and they're drought-tolerant, they're cold-tolerant. Um, um, so I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be able to grow out in the ground if you wanted to. And, of course, long-term, it's going to be more likely to survive in the ground than it will in a pot. 
Oh, yes, I, I, I sort of realised that and I thought I'd better ask for some advice. And should I just give it some some seaweed solution or something if I can get it into the ground? Yeah, look, if you can dig a big enough hole, give it some seaweed. That's always a good idea yeah. to settle things in. Um, you don't need to feed them in any great way. You might like to put a little bit of slow-release fertiliser under them or something like that. Um, I would certainly mulch it when it's planted, um, keep the grass back from the, the base of the trunk and, and allow it then to keep its roots cool for the first summer or two but once it gets established i mean stone pines look after themselves and and um given that it's quite large already uh it might sort of might it be a bit stunted um oh it'll take time to grow out of having been a pot plant so yeah so be patient with it Uh, um, but in time once its root system does release out into the ground around it it'll start to put on a little bit of vigor Okay, and I have some other pines, other other species of pines in, in pots that haven't been in for as long, and I want to keep them in pots, so I could root prune them. Oh, yeah, now. you could actually turn them into bonsais if you wanted. Yeah, well, I, like giant bonsais, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, they, and, you know, there's actually no site, uh, size, I should say, restriction on a bonsai, so you can have quite large plants still classed as bonsais. Right, okay. Well, that's, that's terrific. Um, thank you very much for your for your help and for a wonderful program. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Good luck, Linda. Thank you. All right. Uh, we next we have Vic uh, out at Maribyrnong. Good morning, Vic. Oops. No, we've lost Vic already. Okay. Vic, if you like to ring back, we will try and uh, get onto you and take you very quickly. I realise you're on a mobile, so um, do give us a call back on nine four one nine. Penny. Oh, okay. Um, The other (laughs) thing, there are a couple of other things I wanted to talk about. One of them is the new issue of Organic Gardener magazine, and it's this time of year where we do two fairly quick ones. So this one is only available for another three weeks or so rather than the the two months. Yes. It's got a – I'm particularly fond of the cover because it's actually me on the cover, but the only bit of me that you see is my hands and my – Yeah, so Penny's a hand And my shirt. <laughs> but we had lots of fun doing the doing the photograph, so so that was that was fun. And I think it's quite a striking cover. So Kirsten Bresciani, who's a fabulous photographer, um, does some of the covers and some of the internal photography for the mag. Okay, can I can sure. I come back to Vicks, that because Vicks, Vicks, Vicks uh, runs yeah. back, so we'll go straight to uh, to uh, Vic. You there, Vic? Oh hi! Listen, you're receiving me, okay? Yep. Yes, we are. Uh, okay, okay. Look, green potatoes. What's what's the thing about them? You can't eat them when they're green. Um, they're poisonous. Oh, okay. Which is a very good reason. Yeah, they build up toxins in them when they go green. No, no, no. I want to know why. I want to. What's the poison? What's it do to you? It's it's. I think it's arsenic, isn't it? I'm not sure. It's actually. it's something. It's one of those, and it is actually it can make you quite unwell. But look, if it's a little bit of green, just cut that. You part can cut that tail off. Mm. What I want to know is, okay, that's a that's a potato that's growing. It's green. You're not allowed to eat it because it's going to kill you or very sick. Yeah. Yep. Now, when you get your potato and they look ripe, oh well, they look like you're supposed to eat them anyway, and then they start to go green. 
Well, they turn the same story. They yeah. turn green because of light. So if, if you they popped up to the surface of yeah, the that's soil, that's why you need to mulch the surface of the soil continually to um, to keep the potatoes underneath so that there's no light on them. No, no, no. And, a, it's when you, what I'm talking about is when you buy picked potatoes. Yeah, yes. yeah. And it, you bring if, them home, you bring them home, yep. and then they start going green. That's because they're getting light on them. So that if okay. you have picked potatoes, you need to store them in a dark cupboard. And even um, then, they will slowly over time. And even then, they will yeah. over time possibly go green. But if they're getting any light at all, they will start going green. That's what they do. Okay. Now, my question to you is, can you eat those? No. If no. they're green, you Same don't eat thing. them. Same oh, thing. So they're going back to what they were before. No, they they are they are they were originally when they're grown under the soil. There's no green, but as soon as you get them out into the light, um, then they will start going green. So, and that greenness is poisonous. So uh, you need to, if it's, been, again, if been, it's only a little bit, you can cut it off and you can eat the rest of the potato. But that's um, what I've been doing. Yeah, yeah. But don't but eat I've the grain bit. But I've often wondered what 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 was actually happening there. It's well, just because it's getting the light, and yeah. that's, that's and it's getting ready to start growing again. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's greening up. Uh, if you then plant it will it in start the garden, sprouting. It, it'll start sprouting fairly soon, and um, and then the potato wouldn't taste any good anyway once it gets sort of soggy and squishy. Well, actually, now that we're on a subject, so what do you do? You let it keep making the little buds, and then cut it in half, and then stick it in the ground. Look, there's a few different varieties of these purple potatoes that I've been seeing. Mm. Yes. And some of them aren't real cheap. Yeah, look, some it, of them you actually can... taste quite good. You, you can grow um, new potatoes from a potato that you've bought. The only problem is that there are some viruses um, and back, you know, bacterial mm. problems that may um, occur on um, potatoes that you've just bought to eat that won't affect you, but they will affect when you start growing it. So it's always recommended that you actually buy what we call seed potatoes, which are bred specially for growing. And oh. when you buy those, they're guaranteed not to have these problems associated with them so that you are much more likely to get healthy plants. Where would you get them from? Um, from any nursery. Yeah, most um, of the gardens they all, and nurseries and, have have and there's several online suppliers like Green Harvest and Diggers. Both do um, potatoes that you can you can buy and you can choose exactly which cult. There's, you know, which variety 10, 10 they or have 15 different yep. varieties that you can choose from. Some lovely potatoes. And yeah, now's yeah. a really good time to get them in. Yeah, well, I was, well I've was seen a few varieties of these purple ones and I wouldn't mind trying out those. Yeah. yeah. Take a point of warning on the purple ones. I put purple Congos in years ago. Yes. And I'm still trying to get rid of them. You and I both <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah. and uh, Never again. <laughs> yeah, they have the little tiny purple potatoes that you get the big one out and you think, all right, I'm, I've... I've dug that up, and then within weeks you've got little baby ones coming up everywhere. because They're, they're so, so hard. hard to spot yeah, because you can't they're see them. dark purple. Yeah, and oh. that does raise another issue too. The purple potatoes will go green just like the others will, but it's less obvious. It's harder to it's see. It's harder to see the yeah. green until you cut into the potato and you suddenly realise, whoops, the flesh yeah. is green around them. And the- I reckon some of the purple potatoes sit on shelves in the shops too long and you get them and you cut them open and they're already started to green and you yes. can't see that from the outside. Yes. And you can't see. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, is it, what's his name, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, Steve. Well, I think with what your problem is, you better start a fish and chip shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know that people want purple chips. 
particularly. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, I don't yes. know. Be the and biggest was, hit. Yes. Yeah, the latest thing you, get, you can get purple potato chips Oh, now. yes, so yes the, I've you seen know, those. The, which yeah. are fabulous. I yeah, really I, um, I'm not altogether sure. Anyhow, I didn't like purple Congo as a flavour either. I thought it was flowery. Yeah. But anyhow, there's other better but, purple. But potatoes, potatoes yeah. get used for different things. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you grow some that are really good for chips, yep. like sabagos, and you there are some that are great for mashing and, and some for my baking. My favourite for potato salad are the kipfler potatoes. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Fabulous flavour. Yeah. So, you well, know, it's good to look around and do your, do your research. Yeah, well, anyway, thank you very, very much for that. That's a pleasure. Okay. Pleasure, pleasure, Vic. All Good the best. Day. And thank you. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. That number, if you'd like to uh, join us, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15 this morning. If you'd like to join the conversation, 94190155, or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, whoops, I think she's a bit busy at the moment, so I won't <laughs> give out that number just yet. Uh, but yeah, if you want to ask a question of us in the studio, 94190155. Okay, Penny, back to you and the book okay. <laughs> um, in the magazine. The, there are a couple of really, I think, really inter- – well, there's always really good articles in there. I love Organic Gardener because I learn new things from it all the time. But um, Helen McCarroll's done a really interesting article on microclimates. So it's all about mm-hmm. um, looking at your garden and finding areas where you where something where things will grow that might not grow in other parts of the garden. So she says that, for instance, it took her four moves before she found the right spot for blueberries to grow yeah. in her garden. Okay, um, and it's a, I, I think it's a really good article if you're if particularly if your garden is not just one big flat square, um, but even then you can find shady areas and hot areas, and mm, by putting mm. a pond in, you can create more more. Or, um, uh, moisture in the air so that you can grow some of the plants that need more moisture. So that's a really interesting article. There's another one on small farms, which is there's been um, some recent research that has shown that um, 70% of the world's agriculture is small farms and that it is actually viable to feed all the people on the planet if we work on this small farm model. So small farms providing local communities is and it's a it's just a it's one of those articles that gives you hope for the future of the world because sometimes you know you read so much that makes you despair yes um this one makes you think yes maybe this is maybe all this is possible maybe we will be able to cope with what's coming um there's also an article on mini pumpkins and and one on grapes and Justin's written the article on grapes and it's a lovely article but I did a follow-up article about um a mob up on the up on the Murray who are called Murray River Organics and they're buying back old um, wine grape properties, mm. planting them with with grape because usually once they walk away, um, the, the vines die if you don't get to them quickly mm. enough. So you've got to replant. But using organic methods to um, to replant and um, they, are, they are doing um, dried grapes, so sultanas and raisins. Oh, yes. oh, okay. And they're exporting all over the world. But they're reclaiming all these properties and turning them into organic properties. Mm. So it is just fantastic to see this being done on a scale and mm. to see how yeah. possible it is to do some broad-scale farming but to do it organically mm. um, and, and look after the land as well as... And they also, they're also looking after their local community mm. by supporting um, youth groups and they've also, you know, they, 
it's some of, some of these organic companies do some amazing stuff under really difficult circumstances. Mm. You know, sometimes. So I, I found that a really interesting um, article to research. So there's there's as usual a really nice range, and and Karen Sutherland's got a lovely article on um, not growing allergen, you know, allergenic plants. So things that you can plant if you're a hay fever sufferer that won't affect you. Excellent. So yeah, it's a good it's a good mix. Okay. But you'll need to get it in the next two or three weeks if you want a copy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, as I mentioned, oh, we've got a uh, a listener's called in. Uh, when a potato starts to go green, it's starting to photosynthesize. Mm. Yes, that's what it is. The whole potato is poisonous. The poison is solanine. You can't just cut off the green bit. Oh. Well, I have, and I've eaten the rest of the potato. I, I actually here. have a sense that the green potato issue is about quantity too. Yeah, uh, I yes, mean, a small oh, I'm sure amount of is. green potato is probably not going to do you any harm. I've eaten them, um, and I'm <laughs> still here. Uh, but um, it's about you know, and quantities. it's about how far it's progressed and mm. how much oh, yes. of the potato is mm. green. I if mean, it's if only two a thirds tiny of, little bit, if it's... two thirds of it is green, I wouldn't cut no, the I third wouldn't. off. And no, no, no I wouldn't I'd either. Chuck the whole thing. Yeah. But, but yes, it's all about quantities, I think. Yeah. But yes. thank you for the solanine. Yes. Yes. I, I got that wrong. I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, as I mentioned, if you'd like to jump on the phones, we do have some lines free at the moment, 94190155, or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia, 94198377. Stephen, have you got some more plans Yes, there? I've got a few more good, uh, good. things that are doing their, their stuff. Uh, another plant that uh, I find really appealing at this time of the year, although it has other strings to its bow, uh, is one of the cornices, um, what we'd all know as dogwoods. But this particular group of cornice, uh, uh, this one's cornice officinalis, and there's another one called cornice mass. Uh, they're edible dogwoods uh, as well as being pretty dogwoods. So they get these funny little clusters of yellow flowers and the bare stems in the winter, and the tree itself makes a rather pretty sort of irregular gnarly tree. Quite nice bark as well. And in summer it gets, well, they're not as big as a cherry. There is, they get a, a berry on them. It has a single stone in it like a cherry does. Uh, they go bright red, and they're quite nice to eat. Um, and you can make jellies and jams out of the fruit, um, although I don't know how much jam and jelly people need to make. No, myself, exactly. But, you know, they, they all taste of sugar to me. Um, <laughs> but it's supposed to be one of the better fruits to use to make a jelly for gamey meat, so all the books okay. say. So there you go. Uh, so does the fruit have a name on its own? Yes, it's called a Cornelian cherry. Okay. Uh, is right. the actual name okay. of the fruit, yep. uh, and uh, they're much hardier and easier to grow, easier to grow than the flowering dogwoods, the ones that have the big bracted flowers on them. Um, and officinalis is the Chinese one, cornus mass is the European one. Um, they both look identical to me. Uh, I think one is supposed to flower slightly earlier than the other, but you'd have to have them both growing together to know which was yep. which. Yep. Um, and so it probably doesn't matter which one you get. Um, and uh, I regularly get Mediterranean people coming in looking for cornice mass because mm, okay. they use the yes. fruit a lot in Mediterranean okay. um, cooking, I assume, for also making jellies and things. Uh, and it's a very pretty little tree. Its autumn foliage can be quite pleasant as well. So I think it's a good all-round little tree. So cornice mass or cornice officinalis, either one will do because uh, they're so similar to look at. Um, and, yes, a nice little winter flowering number. Mm. Very pretty thing. Excellent. Um, Pam, I had a query through Virginia here. Okay. If I, if I could oh, yes. just answer that. Um, 
Peter has rung in about garlic and um, he believes that if he cuts his garlic in half that the bulb will grow stronger. So I'm assuming when he's talking about cutting it in half that he's cutting the green tops off, not the actual bulb in half. Um, and it, it's quite interesting because in the past my answer to that would have been that is totally illogical and by cutting mm. the, the leaves off you're taking the food source away from the bulb and it should make the bulb smaller. But just recently I've been talking to a few different people and in China um, they pursue this way of growing garlic that um, you end up with what they call a single globe of garlics and mm. quite a big one. And they do that by cutting the leaves off the top and then letting them reshoot. And that stops the bulb in its um, development from creating the cloves. Mm. Um, so it just makes one so big bulb. So it makes big one, one big, one mm. big round, um, which then if you leave in the ground will then divide into cloves. So there is, if you've got your garlic in really good soil and it's, it's growing well and it's got really good root development, there may be some use in cutting the leaves off to force it into growing a bigger round, which will then give you a bigger bulb. So I, I haven't tried it myself, but I'm getting enough anecdotal stories from people who are saying this is what they do mm. and this is how they get a bigger bulb. And in China, what they do is instead of letting that bulb develop into cloves, they harvest it before it develops into the cloves. And that means that the chefs get these big rounds yeah. um, or if you're processing for industry or something like that, you get big rounds that you don't have to worry about the skins on the cloves. So you've just got this big garlic uh, bulb. So yeah. it cures in the same way with mm. the skin, and but it's much more like an onion than than garlic because it doesn't develop the cloves. Yeah. So this is something that we're seeing a bit of in the industry. People from overseas are wanting to know if growers can supply what they're calling, I um, uh, can't remember what they call it, but anyway, they're mm. big garlic rounds. Um, and this apparently is how they do it, is by taking the green leaves off. Yeah. So it's obviously something we need to do a bit of experimenting with, and it's possible that Peter is right. Okay. So okay. I think I'll leave mine alone as yeah, it is well, at the I, moment. I actually <laughs> like the garlic the way it is. I don't really want to, want yeah, to, I don't know want to play with it. But, and um, I might add, with if you're only cooking for one or two people, you don't always want, want a huge... A great big one. Yep. bulb of garlic yep. that you need to use in one fell swoop, I assume. Yeah. Um, I'd rather be able to pull off cloves and use them as I need them, yes. I have to say. Yeah. Mm. And Virginia also wanted me to talk about what veggies can be planted now. Um, and it, now is a, is a sort of a slightly in-between in between. time. Mm. Yep. I've, I've been putting in some endive because it doesn't mind a bit of cold and mm. I, I love endive. I love that slightly bitter flavour to it. And I think some of the lettuces can go mm. in now so that you can get a get a, a bit of um, really nice salady growth before you, and obviously rocket and those sort of things. But the thing that you should be doing now is getting your seed going inside mm. in, in warmer yeah. places. So even thinking about particularly with the – I know it's cold now, but we've had some really warm weather. So start getting your tomato seeds in mm. and your capsicums and um, some of those. Maybe not eggplant yet. It's you know, They like a bit more warmth. But it's worth having a go at having some seedlings ready to plant out in a month's time because we could have a much warmer oh, spring and you might get tomatoes possible. well before Christmas. Mm. So, And you don't lose much if 
seeds, you know, you put a bit of time and effort into growing seeds, you know, and if they if they do get knocked off by frost, by late frost or something, then, you know, it, you haven't spent a fortune on seedlings. Mm. Um, but so it's mm. worth it's worth giving it a go. So I'd be getting, you know, what I'd be doing if I had time at the moment, I'd be getting seeds in mm. um, of all sorts of things. And you can put brassicas in if you want to. So um, broccoli can be planted all year round. My only issue with that is is that all the um, cabbage moths come out in once the weather warms up. Yeah. So yes. if you if you want to grow bas- brassicas now, then you need to um, put something over the top of them to stop yeah, them. To so them. net them but mm. one, when they're tiny to stop them from being ha- caterpillar, the eggs being laid. Mm. But, yeah, you can still grow brassicas if you want mm. to. And it's a little bit early for beans, but in the next month or so you could start mm. getting beans in as well. Well, I've I've put in things like silverbeet, uh, spinach, coriander, which is yep. just going great guns. Yeah. Um, some rocket, yep, and all of that because they cope with the colder, colder weather. weather. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly with the coriander because it doesn't like the heat and that's when yeah. it will bolt to I seed. I actually so. plant coriander in autumn. Mm. Yeah, I know, but I'm, right through I didn't get round to it in yeah. autumn time yeah. and I thought why not have a go yeah. you'll and, get a few, and it's doing well. You'll get a few months. If you put it in now, that's what I you'll figure. get a few months. Yeah. But as soon as you get some hot weather, yeah. it'll go to seed. But I figure it was well worth but it for then, me to get those. But the thing is you don't. Ne- it's not necessarily a bad thing if it goes to seed because you can collect the seed and use it. Of course. Because coriander seed is fantastic. Actually, I'm living off my miner's lettuce, the self own oh, stuff yeah. that's come yeah. up around I, the garden. I love mine Yeah, it's a great it's plant great. and yes. it comes up in our garden every year. Uh, masses of it come up mm. and we just eat our way through it and yeah. uh, And if it's come up where it's a nuisance, I pull it out. Yeah, and, and eat it. Yeah, yes. it's uh, it's a great plant, miner's yes. lettuce. And I don't actually know whether anybody sells seed of it. Um, yeah, you can It must be somewhere seed. out there, I would have yeah. thought. But, yeah, once you've got it in your garden, and you never have to. And corn salad is the other winter one. Yeah. But that, that as soon as it heats up, that disappears mm. for yeah. the season. Okay, we've got a couple of callers. First up, we're going to Fermi in Redsdale. Good morning, Fermi. Hi, good morning, Pam. Good morning, panel. All of the caller called in. Yep. And no, you cannot cut the green bits off. <laughs> the green bits of the potato are where it's supposed to synthesizing. Okay? But the whole potato becomes poisonous. Now, Stephen is right that it is a matter of um, a quantity yeah. of uh, eating it. And it's not sort of like a healthy, robust people like Stephen that you've got to worry about. It's people who aren't What, infirm well. people like you, Fermi? Yes, <laughs> frail people like me. Yes. But, and um, the thing is, one, uh, the other thing that, raised, um, that I want to talk about was the fact is, you know how sometimes people say, oh, I've got tomatoes growing in my potato mm. because you actually get potato berries forming. Yes. And they should never be planted because... Where the potatoes we grow have been tested, have been grown for years, and, and the solanine level in them, because all potatoes have solanine. In fact, all solanaceous plants, of course, have, have solanine mm. in of them. Of course. But what happens is with the green potatoes is that the solanine level increases greatly so mm. that it is poisonous. If you're susceptible or weak, uh, you will uh, succumb to it. And they actually bred potatoes at one stage the um in America, um, that they found were great potatoes until they tested the solanine level, and they found that there was enough poison in one potato to kill a horse. Ooh, goodness, goodness me! So, so the trouble with I growing, won't grow that one. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the trouble with growing potatoes from seeds—not seed potato, which are just bits of potatoes—but yeah. the, the seeds, you don't know what level of solanine the, the resulting fruit um, potato is going to have. Yep. Yeah. 
So uh, that was one of the, the problems with it. But, yeah, the, my information of it, and this goes back quite a few years when I first started reading organic magazines from America, was that the, um, the whole potato becomes poisonous. It's, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, if, if the, the, the cultivator varieties we have these days uh, have been selected out to have the least solanine in them, but you just need to be careful, and uh, if you and you know they they say you know things like people who uh, women who are pregnant and um, and things like that should never eat green potatoes because of of the the risk of the solanine poisoning, and um, that I'm not sure about because I don't think I've ever seen any scientific literature about it. But it was just sort of the warnings they gave in this article mm. I read. But yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, look, I do the same thing. If a potato's gone green, I'm not going to throw it out. I might plant it, <laughs> but if it's just a little bit of green, I'll cut it off. But knowing that you know you've you've actually activated the poison in the plant by it starting to photosynthesize. Right. So, All right. So the, the 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 risk needs to be assessed. Yeah, and you know, look, okay, you know, if you if you're not particularly susceptible to solanine, and and a lot of people aren't, but there are people who found that you know if they they cut out uh, solanaceous plants from their diet, their, uh, some of their health problems go away. And mm. it's because... That the, and you think about what we have in our diet of sol, uh, solanaceous plants, potatoes, tomatoes, mm. capsicums, mm. all of those plants have solanine in them. Mm. I love our 3CR audience. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I love the way someone always knows the answer to these things. So thank you. Okay, see you later. That's right. fantastic. See Bye you soon, then. Fermi. Okay, well, um, you and I must be robust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I still eat the odd bit of green potato, I have to say, but there you go. Oh, uh, dear. Okay, I'll move on and we've got uh, Laurie in Kyneton. Good morning, Laurie. Good morning. Uh, we've been slaughtered by frost up here, so I'm going to have to be looking for frost hardy. Yeah. But in the meantime, I've been getting carried away with the apples, and I figured out that some IVI escalonia that I planted are in the wrong place. I need to move them. Are they a chance for moving when they're about a metre high? They are. Try and dig out a decent root system with them. Yes. But they should shift all right. Um uh, and I'd probably trim them back a wee bit when you do shift them just to take some of the greenery off them so they haven't got so much yeah. foliage to support. Yeah, just the normal things. I mean, they're certainly yeah. shiftable. They're not like some of our native plants that resent root disturbance. So uh, I don't see any reason why the Escalonias couldn't be moved. Terrific. That's all I needed to know. Thank you very much indeed. That's a pleasure. Good on you. Bye now. Steve, would you still recommend with those sort of things that you um, either soak them bef- with a bit of seaweed extract before you yeah, move okay. and no or, reason why or not. water them well yeah. afterwards with yeah. it? Cause that's I, I think to... it's always a good idea to use the seaweed products on, on yeah. plants that you're shifting. Uh, but the Escalonia is pretty robust. Yeah. I mean, if you did nothing other than just dig it up, plant it somewhere else and water it in, you'd probably still be fine. Yeah. So mm. it is a tough plant. Mm. Yeah. So uh, and, and a very good hedging plant at that. Okay. Uh, we do have another 15 minutes or so for the show to run. If you'd like to quickly jump on the phones and uh, ring in with a question, 94190155, or if you'd like a chat to Virginia, 94198377. Stephen, another plant there. All right. Flowering quince, uh, known by all and sundry as japonica, which does in fact 
cause lots of confusion. <laughs> so I prefer to avoid japonica and call them flowering quinces, but I mentioned japonica in passing so that those who know of what I'm talking about by that name will know what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, the flowering quinces or canomalies are tough, tough shrubs. If you're looking for something hardy to give you a massive winter flower, uh, you could do far worse than planting one of these. There are white ones. This one's Nivalis. It just is pure white. They go through shades of pink uh, right through to orangey reds and scarlets. So you've got a whole range of colours in them. The single varieties often get fruit on them, uh, quince-type fruit, which can be again turned into a jelly. Actually, it makes a really good jelly. My grandmother used to make what Mm, she called japonica japonica jelly. jelly. Yes. And we used to fight over jars of that one because it has a real bite to it. It It's a really lovely jelly. Mm. Um, They make a nice twiggy shrub. Uh, They're obviously lovely for picking. And in fact, those who do Japanese ikbana love japonica because you get these Mm. lovely sort of interesting twiggy branches on it. Because they flower before the leaves. Yeah. yeah. So you've got this deciduous shrub that's not really bare for very long because it drops its leaves in the autumn. And even then it never seems to drop completely. There's always a few leaves hanging about. They start flowering about midwinter and they go right through until early spring. Uh, The height they grow to depends on the cultivar you plant some can be quite small and compact others can be quite tall Uh, and I've been actually advising it as an informal hedging plant for a lot of country gardens up around our way Um, it makes a wonderful well you can trim it up as a hedge but it's never going to make the very tight hedge that you might get out of box or or conifer or something but you can square it up quite well Uh, and of course because it flowers on old wood the the hedge flowers superbly Mm. anyway Mm. and because it suckers from the bottom you don't end up with those gaps under it like Mm. you do under some hedges Uh, and there's something sort of rurally about it when you use it as a hedge you know I I think it reminds me of the old hawthorn hedges and things and hedgerows yeah and hedgerows because they'd be really good places for little birds to hide and, and Fabulous. insects and all that sort yeah. of thing. So yeah. I think the, the um, flowering quince is a, an unsung hero. I think there's lots of potential uses for it. Uh, a lot of people whinge about it being hard to get out, but it's like any other plant. I mean, if you've got something in the wrong place, well, then it creates an issue. But if you've got it in the right place, you don't have to get it out. So, you know, I'm happy to have it. Uh, and I've got this single white one in the garden at home, and it's up about two and a half to three metres tall and probably nearly as wide. So it can be quite a substantial. Do you cut it bush. back every year? No, you, no. So you just leave it? No, and, in and fact, pick I pick it a bit. I just pick it a bit if I need some for the house. Um, if I wanted it to be hedged, I would I would cut it quite regularly. But if I want it to be a free form bush, I actually go through it and I thin it every so mm. often. So I allow the plant to billow out because I think that's part of its charm. If you prune it back, you end up with something quite compact and bushy, but it loses some of that lovely elegance. Mm. So so I actually just go through my plant every few years and, and cut out individual stems right back to ground level uh, and thin mm. it. Um, and I just love them. I think they're really, really pretty plants. Uh, you can grow them in semi-shade through to full sun, they're drought tolerant, they're cold hardy, the flowers don't get frosted, so even in places like Kyneton and Trentham and places like that where they get really heavy frost. I hope Laurie's listening. Yes, Laurie, you could be, plant- <laughs> you could be planting some flowering quinces. Uh, and, um, you know, they, they are, they're a great habitat plant. The birds love mm. to get in amongst them. Uh, some of the honey-eating birds will actually make use of the flowers as well, so, you know, that can happen. And the lorikeets and things will have a crack at the fruit later on in the year as well if you don't pick it yourself. So mm. it does make make a good habitat plant. Um, and they they really, I think country hedges, with that little bit of informality, it's like using Rugosa roses or, mm, you know, yes. some of these sort of plants, 
you don't in a country garden you often don't want that really strong symmetrical line you want a soft edged sort of garden and so I think like flowering quinces could be great for that uh, I would advise though not planting mixed colours not so much that I've got an objection to the colour mix but I've got an objection to the fact that they will grow different sizes mm. so if you want something that looks like a proper border then you need to plant all one cultivar uh, so make your selection of which colour you think will be good um, and interestingly, because they flower so early, even if you are colour coordinating your garden most of the year round and you're perhaps doing pale and pastel, um, the red one's fantastic for the winter and you've got almost nothing else out in flower anyway. Mm. And so I'd actually consider the fact that you don't have to colour coordinate this to any large extent. You know, you could just have something bright and cheery. And I've got a client who's used the red one as a, a front hedge in their garden along their front street boundary, and they've used a white hedge of it somewhere else in the garden. Okay. And, and it's lovely, really, really handsome. Um, and um, they're not expensive to buy. Uh, I actually have a grower that does them, and I can buy them in bundles bare-rooted in the winter. So if people want them in quantity like that, mm. you're gonna, that's a good way of getting them at a reasonable price. Uh, and I have one client nearby who bought a shell pink one from me who had no idea what she was doing, no, not a gardener at all. And I explained about planting bare-rooted things and how to put them in. And uh, she came back the following summer, and she said, I've lost one. And I said, oh, how did you lose one? And she said, oh, some of them I didn't get planted for days. They just lay around on the ground. Oh. And, I, and so she still only lost one. Well, she did well. Mm. Yeah, so <laughs> that's well. how tough they are. Yes. So uh, I was quite shocked when I realised what she'd done because I, I think she thought because they were bare sticks, they didn't actually they didn't need, need to be need kept anything. <laughs> So she just laid them out where she was going to plant them and just Got at her leisure did it. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is all the wrong thing, of course, and all our listeners would know better. But, you know, nonetheless, that's what happened. And she only lost one. Okay. Well, so there, there you go. go. Yep. yep. Yeah, so canomalies uh, or... Flowering quinces, uh, and as I said, there's a range of different cultivars and species and things, and, and they're all tough as they come. Mm. They are really good. I really like that one. It's such mm. a pure white. It, it is. Navalis is a lovely, lovely yes. flowering quince. I, I mm. adore it. Mine's just billowing with flowers mm. at the moment. And underneath it, I've got double white hellebores. Oh, oh And it, it looks almost wow. too tasteful for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it does look stunning. In fact, I had a lady come into the nursery the other day and said, I want the hellebore you've got under your flowering quince out in your front garden. So she'd walked right. past and seen it right. and saw the combination and I think she fell in love with it too. So, okay. Yeah, it does. It looks fantastic. She doesn't want the flowering quince as well? I think she might already have it. Oh, okay. So I, I've got a sense she <laughs> was just, go. I think she was copying me. Yes, Which is right. a bit of a worry. It's Uh-oh. a bit of a two-edged compliment, I think, when people <laughs> yeah. go out to copy you. Uh, I mean, it's nice to think that people think you've done something that's really nice, but you don't necessarily want everybody to do the same thing either. Oh, as long as she doesn't live next door, well, it's she, okay. She lives, oh, I don't know. 10 minutes away walking. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, so, and, and she does live on another road. And, that's all right. And, and, and I'm sure that she's doing it in the back garden or somewhere else. So uh, <laughs> it won't become sort of the motif of the district, hopefully. <laughs> okay, let's go next to uh, Jill, who's in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam, Penny, Stephen. Hi, Jill. Um, I've got Clive Larkman has the tree tomato, tamarillo. It's all about- right. It's about uh, 18 centimetres tall. Anyway, not very expensive. And he's at Romantic Herbs in... Um, and I've got a phone number. I don't know whether he does... Um, um, Jill, he's, a, he's mainly a wholesaler. Yes. So His he, wife well, does, he does do a retail thing through no, Dyer's Delight. he does Football. have a retail yeah. opening once a month on a mm. Sunday. Yeah, but you can buy the mail order through Dyer's Delightful Plants, yes. which is his wife's... Yes. Um, 
Yes, she trades under that, and, yeah. and that's how you Okay, get the well, place. I bought mine from there when I went on yeah. a trip with yeah. the Herb Society. So, yes, it's a very nice plant. Yeah, <laughs> he does a, a nice range of a whole lot of edible things, actually, yeah. so it's well worth jumping online and having a look. Yeah. yeah. yeah including so including some interesting hops that he's been yeah. doing recently. Okay. Really? Yeah. 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 There you go. So we should all hop to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at my japonica, I've been here 42 years, and I, when I cut it to give people, I cut the cross ones in so that it doesn't look so congested and yep. it keeps the nice shape outside. And just prune off the ones into the street to, to have in my own vases. Mm. They're <laughs> lovely plants and they last, last and last in water. They're really yeah. good as a cut flower. Yeah. I love them. Yes, mine, mine gets a little yellow um, quince, little yellow fruit. Yeah. Well, yeah. some of the cultivars get quite large quinces. There, mm. there, and and I've never been able to work out which ones it is because, of course, when you see the fruit on them, you don't often see the you flowers. Don't see the flower, yeah. And so I see them in other people's gardens. And I know my Navalis doesn't get particularly large fruit. It does get some, mm. but not particularly large. But I have seen some out there with really quite big fruit. And I've made inquiries with a couple of different growers asking them which ones it is. Mm. Nobody seems to be able to tell me which ones get well, the big fruit. Well, you obviously need to go and knock on the door and ask them if you can have a cutting yeah, and right. take it home and grow it. Yes, exactly, so that then we can get know. one of the big fruited ones. Yes. yes. So, so uh, would it be time to ask for a cutting? I've, somebody's got apple blossom down in Oakley and I was going to call in and ask, could I take a few cuttings? Well, you could, but it would be even better if they wouldn't mind you taking one or two little suckers. Because oh, yes. then you they can get like roots on them already. Well, it's, it's in the gateway, so they might like me to prune it back. So yes, it yes. So, uh, if I were putting them in as cuttings, I probably would have put them in a tad earlier than this because they'll be starting to shoot soon. Yeah, but if yeah. there's a if there's a few suckers at the bottom, you could get those out and you would have what we call Irishman's cuttings. Oh, well, uh, I'll, I'll cuttings take, with roots I'll, on. I'll take my spade as well as my. <laughs> yeah, I would put your spade in, Jill. Nicely. Yeah, um, uh, and as long as you don't look like you're going to come in and rake and pillage the. Garden, uh, <laughs> no, I'm no. sure people wouldn't mind. Uh, I'll, I'll take my walking stick so they'll see that I'm, I'm not perfectly yeah, healthy. Yeah, you're a bit <laughs> frail and so you can't do too much damage. <laughs> exactly. <yes. laughs> okay, well, farewell. Uh, Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Pam, can I just mention that now is the time for you at Seed Catalogs? So I was mentioning before that it's a good time to get seed yeah. in. Well, Green Harvest has their wonderful catalogue out, which is they call the Australian Organic Gardening Resource Guide, which not only has seeds but a whole lot of other things as mm. well, like nets and bags and all that sort of thing. Diggers has their heirloom annual and, and all their wonderful heirloom seeds um, available and Lamley Nursery has their seed um, manual out at the moment and they go for more F1 um, varieties, yes. but um, that's their that's their thing. And if you're having disease problems with some of your plants, you might prefer to try um, growing some. But they're, they're, the seed are more expensive because they've they've been mm. specially bred. So it, it's a really good time to to get your seed catalogues and have a bit of a look and a read and mm. a dream. Sit about, in front of the fire with a nice glass of grow. Chardonnay. Exactly, <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Um, but they yeah no they're fun to see what's mm. there and what the new things are around and what old Cultivar or uh, cultivars being discovered, and mm. yeah, it's they're, they're good. So have a all all of these organisations will post them to you if you if you get in touch and ask them to. Excellent. Fantastic. Yep. Mm.
There you go. Okay, time for... An, oh, no, we really haven't. Goodness no, me, No, it's only a couple has, of minutes to go. So. We haven't got long. Yeah, well, um, if you like, I've still got a couple of plants. So well, we, 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 we do those. have time to quickly go yeah. through those. All right. Uh, winter jasmine has been out for months in my garden. Uh, jasmine uh, nudiflorum, meaning its flowers are on nude branches, which is quite obvious. Uh, it's yellow. Uh, it's not perfumed, uh, but it makes a wonderful splash of yellow at this time of the year. And it just makes this ungainly sort of arching stemmed thing which standing on it, uh, its own is probably not actually that useful in a garden but if you drape it up through the branches of a low tree uh, or you run it up a fence as an espalier or you dangle it down over a bank uh, it can be a particularly useful plant it's as hardy as they come uh, it will cope with sun or shade uh, it's drought tolerant once its roots are established and it flowers practically all winter and the only reason I think you don't see it around for sale as a garden plant uh, is basically because it looks absolute rubbish in a pot. You get these sort of couple of sort of straggly sticks with a few little flowers on it, and it's almost impossible to convince people that you can make a nice plant out of it. Yes. So I don't think it's ever going to become commonly available commercially, uh, but it's a charming plant, and it's very popular in Europe because it still flowers in England and, and colder parts of Europe in the winter, and the flowers don't get frosted, and so it's something that gives them bright colour for months and months in the winter. Mm. Uh, but you just don't see it grown much here, uh, but it's certainly a worthy plant. Mm. So that's um, winter jasmine, jasminum nudiflorum. And as I said, it's not a perfumed one, so don't expect it to have a sweet scent like the other jasmines do. Okay. A listener's called in to say apple blossom flowering quince in her garden has the largest fruit. She has several varieties of flowering quince. Oh, so, so she says go. apple blossom. Apple blossom. Yeah. All right. Well, that's also known as morhenii, which is actually its proper cultivar name. Um, and I do grow and sell that one. So there you go. Okay. I've already got that one in stock if people are looking for apple blossom. I meant to mention it to Jill if she can't get those rooted suckers out. Um, it is one that I stock and grow. It's a very pretty thing. Okay. Mm. You've got you've got half a minute All to right. quickly mention. Gary elliptica, one of the great tassely, catkiny mm. shrubs of the winter. Uh, comes from uh, California. It's drought tolerant, it's uh, heat tolerant, and it's cold tolerant. And if you're looking for an interesting winter shrub, Gary is great. It grows three or four or five metres tall. It's a big plant, mm. uh, but it can espalier. Um, and there is a cultivar out there called James Roof that has particularly long catkins if you're looking for something that's really going to knock your socks off. I was in Hobart. Hobart recently and mm. they're all over the place and yeah. they look just fabulous. Oh, great shrub, Gary. It, it is a bit sort of dry looking and, and mm. what have but you in the summer. That, yeah. But for the winter, it's a, it's a very worthwhile plant. So Gary or Elliptica. Fantastic. Well, it's time we finished up for another week. A big thank you to the team on air and also this morning to both Liz and Virginia who've been handling all the calls for us. Um, Stay tuned. Coming up next, of course, is Alternative News, and we will be back, of course, next Sunday morning at 7.30. So until then, bye for now. 